Our second reading today skips forward several chapters, several years, but continues the story of Joseph. Mike's reading ended with Joseph being sold into the, the, as a slave into the hands of traders. And between that text and this text, Joseph finds himself in Egypt and interprets the Pharaoh's dreams and rises to power. Then his brothers come to him in Egypt because of a famine. And he, they move to Egypt where he is a ruler. Realizing that their father was dead, Joseph's brothers said, What if Joseph still bears a grudge against us and pays us back in full for all the wrong that we did to him? So they approached him. So they approached Joseph, saying, Your father gave this instructions before he died. Say to Joseph, I beg you, forgive the crime of your brothers and the wrong they did in harming you. Now, therefore, please forgive the crime of the servants of the God of your father. Jesus wept, or Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also wept, fell down before him, and said, We are here as your slaves. But Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Even though you intended to do harm to me, God intended it for good, in order to preserve a numerous people as he is doing today. So have no fear. I myself will provide for you and your little ones. In this way, he reassured them, speaking kindly to them. This ends the reading of God's holy word. May God add many blessings to the hearing of it. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we have come into your house and gathered in your name to worship you. Enable us to hear your call in our lives. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts here together be found pleasing and acceptable in your sight. Our Lord, our Rock, our Redeemer. Amen. Friends, last week we discussed Abram and the promise of God to Abram that he would have many descendants, that they would number as many as the stars of the sky. This week we're jumping forward two generations, and we're focusing on Joseph and his brothers. Our text opened with Jacob and his twelve sons gathered together, and Jacob has made it very clear that Joseph is the favorite son, and so he makes him this rich expensive coat, a coat like those that kings would wear. Scholars believe it was a patchwork coat, a coat that included many different types of cloth, almost like a quilt. It's not one that you could just go to the mall and buy. You'd have to commission to have it made, or you'd have to make it yourself, and it would be very expensive and very time-consuming. And he made this for only Joseph, not for his other sons. So his other sons were angry and jealous and bitter. And then Joseph, I don't know if he was gloating over his brothers. I don't know if he had no people skills, no emotional intelligence. But he goes up to them and says, I had a dream that you all bowed before me. And was surprised that they were upset with him. So the brothers decided that they should rise up and kill Joseph. 
And then he would be out of their way. They wouldn't have to worry about him. But Reuben, the oldest brother, said, well, wait, 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 wait a second, guys. That's kind of harsh. Maybe, maybe we shouldn't kill him. Maybe we should just throw him into a pit. And Reuben thought later he could go and rescue him and take him back to his father. But then while Reuben was away, the other brothers got together and said, well, since we have him down here, why don't we make a little bit of money, get him out of our hair once and for good, and sell him to some traders? So they found some traders and sold him as a slave, and away their brother and the traders went. As the years went by, the traders traveled to Egypt, where Joseph again was sold. But then his ability to have dreams and to interpret dreams came into effect, and word spread about his ability. And Pharaoh had some dreams that were troubling him, so he sent for Joseph and had his dreams interpreted. And Joseph found favor with Pharaoh and rose to be the governor of all Egypt. While this was going on, Joseph's brothers found themselves in a time of famine. They found themselves starving, hungry, not sure what to do. And they heard that Egypt was ripe with grain, so they went down there. And they went and went before the mysterious ruler and were shocked when they found out it was his brother. Our second text picks up after their brother or their father has died. And they're worried now that their father is dead that his protection will not protect them from Joseph. So they go and beg him for forgiveness. And even though they plotted to kill him, even though they sold him into slavery, Joseph shows grace. He forgives them. He says he will look over them and their little ones, that they will be a prosperous people. Here is a man that if he ever had a reason to uh, be vindictive against his brothers, it was him. But instead, he shows grace. Several months ago, I went on a a two-night retreat, and I sat down with all the texts for this fall, and I plotted out what I thought I was going to do with each text, and looking for overarching themes, and I thought, Grace in the light of God's promise is a powerful theme. And that's what today's sermon was going to be. That's why we sang grace alone. That's why the closing hymn was going to be great is thy faithfulness. But all week as I worked with this text, I kept coming back to Reuben. Reuben, the oldest brother. Reuben, the protector. Reuben, who heard what his brothers were going to do to Joseph. And he wanted to protect him. He said, let's not kill him. That's kind of extreme. He is our flesh and blood. And so he came to a compromise with them. We can't kill him. We can't set him free. Let's just throw him into a pit. And he thought in the back of his mind, later he could go back and rescue Joseph. He could take him back to his father and restore him. But things didn't go the way he planned. When he came back, his brother was gone. He said, what can I do? And the brothers took his cloth and said, well, let's just tell Joseph that he was killed. And that's what he did. I was struck by Reuben. I think he's the most interesting person in these passages. This conflicted brother, this brother who has jealousy, is the oldest brother, he should be the favored one. But he's not. This older brother takes compassion on Joseph. 
This older brother who reaches out to help his brother but doesn't do quite enough. Compromise is often a good thing. I think Heather would agree that our marriage wouldn't be so strong, wouldn't be where it is, we wouldn't still be together if it weren't for compromise. But compromise isn't always good. Anne Rand once said that in a compromise, one side is good, one side is bad, but the middle is evil. And there are times when that's true. First Kings tells us about King Solomon and his wisdom and how two women were fighting over a baby and who was the mother. And so they brought this baby to King Solomon and said, help us to decide. And King Solomon said, I've got a compromise. Let's cut this baby in half and each of you can have a half. The perfect compromise. And the real mother cried, no, don't do that. Let the other woman raise him. And the other woman, the fake mother, said, let's do that. That sounds good to me. By pointing out the false compromise, Solomon was able to declare who was the true mother of that child. And as I thought of Reuben, I thought about when are times that we as a church should refuse to compromise. When are there times when we, like Reuben, Try to help out, but just don't do enough. We go through the motions. We do a little bit what's comfortable for us. But we fall short of what we should do, letting our brother come to harm. As I thought about this, I thought to Dr. King's writing, letter from a Birmingham jail written in 1963. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was sitting in jail and he penned this letter. About three-quarters of the way through, he says, I must make two honest confessions to you, my Christian and Jewish brothers. First, I must confess that over the last few years, I've been gravely disappointed with the white moderate. I've almost reached the regrettable conclusion that the Negro's great stumbling block in the stride toward freedom is not the white citizen's counselor or the Ku Klux Klanner, but the white moderate who's more devoted to order than to justice who prefers a negative peace, which is the absence of tension, to a positive peace, which is the presence of justice, who constantly says, I agree with you in the goal that you seek, but I can't agree with your methods of direct action, who paternalistically feels that he can set the timetable for another man's freedom, who lives by the myth of time and who constantly advises the Negro to wait until a more convenient season. Shallow understanding from a people of goodwill is more frustrating than absolute misunderstanding from people of ill will. Lukewarm acceptance is much more bewildering than outright rejection. Dr. King was lashing out at the people who put themselves in the mo- as moderates, people in the middle, people who agreed with the civil rights movements but didn't really want to get involved. And I think Dr. King's words ring just as true today as they did then. That too often we as churches find ourselves in the middle as the moderates, 
We play the role of Reuben. We admit that there is a problem. We say that we're against racism, but really don't do anything about it. And we let our brothers and sisters come to harm. Because we want to sit on the sideline, because we want to maintain our comfort. Because we, want to, we prefer the peace that is no distractions versus the peace that is the presence of justice. Stephen Colbert, the late night comedian, recently said, I don't understand what's going on. We had more African Americans shot, more riots, we keep doing nothing and it isn't working. Time and again we keep doing the same thing, which is nothing. And this week we did see two more shootings. And we've seen riots in the city of Charlotte. And we've seen property destroyed and people killed and people hurt. And we can't be Reuben. We can't go through the motions. We can't start to do something but just not go far enough. We're called to action. We're called to do something. Now, the problem with inaction is there's two reasons why people don't act. Some people don't act because they don't feel like they should act. And there are people like this, people who who don't think that there's a problem in our society today, that don't see the, the disparity between the races, don't see the racial tension that persists through our society. But I think more of us fall into the boat that we don't act because we don't know what to do. I believe it was last year I gave a sermon on on how we need to come together as races, how we need to, to try to heal the divide. And I said, but I don't know how. And I don't know all the answers, but I have studied and I have learned and I have worked to figure out how to become more involved. And the first thing we need to do is to educate ourselves. We need to take it upon ourselves to look into these matters. We need to read books, magazine articles, books like Between the World and Me by Tennessee Coates, uh, books that talk about the disparity in our justice system like The New Jim Crow or Absolute or um, Just Mercy or the book by the, the editor of Sojourner, uh, America's Original Sin by Jim Wallace. And we need to look at these books and see the history of racism and see how our society got where it was today because it hasn't happened overnight. We need to educate ourselves and we need to expand our circles. So many of us are surrounded by people who look like us, who think like us. That's part of why Heather and I moved here to Bowie, because of the diversity here. Because where we lived in Farmington, Illinois, everyone looked the same, thought the same, was the same. And we wanted to hear voices from different perspectives And so we sought out an area with a greater diversity, a place that represented us and our family. The second thing we need to do is we need to listen. So often when we listen, we listen to reply, not to understand. Listening to news stories about the riots in Charlotte this weekend, I heard one woman talk and say, I feel like we've been screaming and screaming, but nobody is listening. We just want our voice to be heard. 
Going back to Martin Luther King, he condemned rights, but he said he could not condemn rights without condemning the conditions that led to those rights, that rights are the vo- or that rights is the way that people who cannot make their voice heard any other way make their voice be heard. And so we need to listen to our brothers and sisters who feel oppressed. We need to listen to our brothers and sisters who are in pain, who are suffering. We need to make sure that they feel heard. And we need to listen, not to reply, but to understand. We need to speak up. We need to have those difficult discussions. A few weeks ago, I went to a a community forum put on by the Bowie Police Department about race relations. And Chief Nesky stood up and said, I invite you all to speak, to share your thoughts, and we will share ours. And there are going to be times that it's going to be uncomfortable, but these are discussions we must have. And he was true to his word. There were uncomfortable things said by people in the audience. There were uncomfortable things said by the police, but they came together so that there could be a greater understanding. Friends, we cannot stay on the sideline. We have to expand our circles. We have to listen and research the narratives as they come out. The media controls the narratives, and I have found that people go to one source of media or the other so that they always hear the same story. I remember back when Michael Brown was killed in Ferguson, Some people were saying, oh, but he was such a good child. He was going to college next year. Others were saying he was a criminal. He was a thug. Those narratives don't matter. It doesn't matter if he was thug or a criminal. He should not have been put to death if he was doing nothing. We shouldn't lift lift up the value of one person or another because all people are precious in God's eyes. We shouldn't listen to the narrative of, oh, this was a good person or this wasn't a good person, but instead look at the narrative of what actually happened. But too often we're quick to jump to conclusions. And then some police shootings that are justified get deemed unjustified and vice versa. And we decide for ourselves before the facts are even out. When I first started preparing this sermon several months ago, I was going to call it putting the fun in dysfunctional. Because let's be honest, if there was ever a dysfunctional family, it was Joseph's family. His brothers were all from, were from two or three different mothers. They wanted to raise up and kill Joseph, throw him in a pit, sell him off as a slave. But it didn't start with Joseph. You could trace back dysfunction for generations. Abraham had two children, Isaac and Ishmael. They were half-brothers. And they hated each other, and they warred, and they were jealous of each other. And then Isaac had two children, Jacob and Esau. And you want to read about some brothers fighting? You should read what they did about stealing birthrights, about hiding from each other for years, about being estranged. And then Jacob had these children who plotted to kill each other. We see the systematic dysfunction in this family. And we see Joseph stepping outside of it. We see Joseph stepping out in faith and putting an end to it by reaching out 
in grace. But it wasn't something that was easy for him to do. I imagine it was very difficult to forgive his brothers. To say, yes, you did these terrible things to me, but it ended up all right. You're still my brothers. I'll take care of you. I'll take care of your children. We are family. It wasn't easy, but he did it, and it ended the systematic dysfunction in his family. Friends, there is systematic racism in our society. And it's not going to end overnight. It's not something we alone can do. And it's not going to be easy. But when we listen, when we broaden our horizons, when we educate ourselves and we speak out, we can do steps to ending that. To making sure all our brothers and sisters are treated fairly, are treated as one, are treated as God's beloved creatures because that is what we all are. Amen.